1: Give some quick thoughts on the Sixers' second half schedule, which was released on Wednesday. Uh, We go over the Sixers' two-game series against the Toronto Raptors. What we learned from it, how they defend Embiid, and how they could succeed against them in the playoffs. We then talk about the All-Star Reserves, in which Ben Simmons was named as an All-Star Reserve, but Tobias Harris was not, and whether or not that was the right choice. And then we go over some quick thoughts on some potential opponents that the Sixers might meet a couple months from now in the first round of the playoffs. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to the athleticcom Sixersbeat, where you can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. And also, we will be doing a Mailbag podcast over the weekend, so if you have a question that you would like which i to answer on the next podcast, shoot us an email at mailbag at Sixersbeat.com. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I assume since it was like fifty degrees outside, you're probably doing better. Fair yeah. assumption. Yeah, yeah nice. as
0: far as the the weather helping my mood, this was a uh, this is a good couple of days, and
1: uh-huh. hopefully the start of new times. Hopefully, yeah.
0: You, you know what? Kind of soured my mood a little bit. Not not soured my mood, but certainly. Uh, a little dose of reality the second half schedule coming out yeah that's a lot of games in a short a lot amount of, games. of
1: time what was it 36 games in like 67 days and some teams have it worse some teams who had more games uh postponed than the sixers did the Sixers only had the one game postponed have it a little bit worse uh but that is a lot of games i think eight back-to-backs a six-game road trip which can't be fun not an easy six-game trip either you've got Uh, Golden State, who's playing a little bit better. Uh, Not a little bit better, pretty significantly better. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets. So a good test there. Uh, And then a whole bunch of back-to-backs in the final month of the season. It's going to be a whirlwind. It's going to be a whirlwind.
0: But like you said, other teams have it
1: worse than that. That's true. That's true. You just worry about it because the Sixers are a little shallow in terms of their depth. A little bit. (laughs) You've got a big man who you want to rest at every opportunity you can. Yep. And you've had seasons in the past where, I mean, there have been seasons where he played half the games down the stretch because they were worried about injuries at that point. Um, But it's not like he's injury free right now. So it will be interesting to see how they manage all of that.
0: When when you looked at the schedule in a vacuum, you thought, oh, man, this is really tough. Yeah. But like we said earlier, other teams do have it worse. So what that means to me is that the Sixers are going to have to be careful. Considering yes, they need Embiid and they need Simmons, who uh, who certainly didn't make it through the end of last season. They need them both healthy. They need basically everybody healthy. And they are very shallow. I believe we use the term "house of cards." If uh, if one one of those cards is removed, it gets dicey really yeah. quickly. Yes, it uh, does. So they're going to have to deal with that while playing, you know, with a very compressed schedule. But the other teams are going to have to too. Basically, my point on that is there is going to be some bad
1: basketball. Yes, and, and you know, you know how ba- you
0: know the end of March is pretty bad yeah. usually. Yeah, the end of April in this
1: season, woo, yeah, going to be great. No, it's not. And late season NBA basketball is always very hit or miss. It could be a really good game, or it could just be complete slop. And this year, with you know so such a condensed schedule, you're going to have more teams, I think, than ever resting stars. And what are these matchups at the end going to be? I have no idea. I have no idea. And I I do, we mentioned this last podcast. I do worry a little bit about Joel Embiid and the MVP talk. Um, it, it He's just going to get to a spot where like there's some of those back-to-backs he probably should rest, especially if the Sixers aren't fighting for vital playoff seating. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. It'll be real interesting.
0: There's one back-to-back on there where if Embiid plays, it's malpractice. I believe it's yeah. It's the kick off a of five game in seven day stretch. They go San Antonio one night, Chicago the next night.
1: Yeah.
0: Which again, I think other teams have. I think that's the toughest back to back that the Sixers are going to play against. Other teams have longer trips. Usually, it's like you know if a team will play back to back, it'll be Boston one night, Philly the next night, or you know Philly New York short trips. Like I, I think the NBA and making the schedule. Had to cut some corners in terms of geographic proximity, and uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the Sixers, but it's going to be tough for uh, for other teams. I was a little surprised to see. I think it was on the the jump they had the Sixers second half schedule, so that doesn't include the next four games that they'll play by a, by opponent winning percentage. Yep. It's the sixth easiest in the league. Yeah, which I don't know. I feel like we've been talking about this team and i feel like when i read john schumann's nba power rankings every week you know the sixers come up as one of the easiest strengths of schedule in the league now i know they've they've played the west coast trip but not the complete gauntlet yeah i mean you mentioned what that west coast trip at the end of march is going to be those are some real heavy hitters during that stretch um yeah so it's it it does surprise me a little bit that they have what is considered i would say an easy to average schedule, depending yeah. on how you look at it. Moving in,
1: well, and and Eastern teams typically have an easier schedule because you play Eastern Conference teams twice instead of, uh, or four times instead of twice. This year, that's dialed back a little bit. You only play teams in your conference three times. Uh, yeah,
0: so it's and only not, division teams three times too, which I forgot about. Yeah, like I, I was
1: three times I was fourteen f- in your conference is forty-two. Two times fifteen in the other conference is thirty, and that's your seventy-two game schedule.
0: Like I was looking for a home Toronto and two road Bostons and they, they don't exist. You only play those teams three times, which uh I guess that's a pretty good segue to get into uh what yeah. we saw over the past and couple of days. The,
1: the highlight of the, uh, the remaining two games uh series that they have up is the uh is the Bucks, which assuming all the important people are playing would be really fun to watch. But segueing to the uh Two game series that we just saw against the Raptors. They, of course, went one and one, lost the first game, won the second game. In some ways, I almost feel like the first game was a better played game, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, a 103 to 110 loss in the first one in Tampa, not Toronto, Tampa. And then a 109 to 102 win in the second, in which Furka and Corkmaz stole the show, at least in the <laughs> beginning. You know, I guess. I guess we'll just start off with like initial impressions because Toronto has won, what have they won, like 14 of their last, like 22 or something like that. They've won a whole bunch of games here since that bad start. They started off like two and eight or something in the season They've come roaring back.
0: I think they had won five in a row or six in a row going into last night's game. And that was, a lot of that was without Kyle Lowry. And there were some impressive wins in there. They swept Milwaukee on the road. Milwaukee, I don't think had holiday for those games, but still.
1: So a a good team. And what are they up to in the Eastern Conference? Fourth, fifth?
0: Yeah, they were were fifth yesterday.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks. And we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus Twenty-one plus to wager. Visit MGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call one-eight hundred GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana. Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call one 877 8 hope or text hope Y. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available. In and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: So certainly a team that they could meet in the playoffs. And I'll tell you what, that team with the way that they play defense, it does, you know, first game I thought, all right, look, you all didn't have a great game, um, but they got a lot of really good looks, I thought. Second game, first quarter, I felt the same way, except this time now those looks were going in, which was great. And then the wheels kind of fell off there in the second half. I guess, what was your overall takeaway in terms of Toronto as a matchup and an opponent? And then also how the second game played out after we got to see an an initial impression in the first one.
0: My main takeaway is that as long as a couple of these Raptors players are there. As long as the Toronto Raptors exist as a franchise, I don't care how much worse they are talent wise than the Sixers. They're going to be a pain in the Sixers ass Yeah, for the rest of time. I mean, they didn't have Kyle Lowry in that game, in either of those games. Kyle Lowry's still very good. I know there's been some, the I guess though. some trade speculation about it. I, I don't know how yeah. substantial that is. It seems like it would be pretty hard for the Sixers to, uh,
1: Hard to match to salary, a, and also I'm not sure yeah. Toronto's selling right now.
0: Yeah, maybe next year if uh, if Kyle wants to come home and live in live in Villanova <laughs> really badly, and he thinks the Raptors don't have enough. Pretty shot. sure he that's,
1: still has a house in the area. I'm oh yeah, sure.
0: yeah, I think he's he's got a house near near Villanova somewhere. It certainly is. Uh, he reps the city pretty hard, so but that's that's for another time. But yeah, they didn't have Lowry, and they're just a pain in the ass. Like like you said, their defensive schemes. I'm not sure it was Marcus. Gasol, man. It, it might have just been Nick Nurse, one big body, in this case, Aaron Baines, Mr. Man Bun, as MB used to call him. And, and the Raptors flying around and rotating in a way that no other team really does. And, you know, Toronto, they were the number two team in defensive efficiency last season. I haven't looked. They're not as good this year. No. Teams are starting to make a few more threes against them. They do give up some some corner threes and and they, yep. it's it's kind of like what we saw with uh, with Indiana a couple of weeks ago. They they really pressure the ball to an insane degree. Whatever mix of what they do on defense is really frustrating to Joe Embiid. And, and you know I, it was, it was kind of a weird takeaway. Like I, I do agree that Joe was moving the ball pretty well out of the post at times. I thought. In game one, he he largely did a good job. I would say in the fourth quarter, probably slowed down a little bit. Game two, the first quarter, he did a good job, and then the rest of the game, not really. They uh the Sixers really struggled to score in the half court against that team. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, they, they're like a super impressive team defense. Toronto, the way they close out on three point shooters, you know, they have guys like Boucher who. He's he's basically like Ben Simmons in that how much ground he can cover or thigh bowl, where he, he you know, he makes these blocks out of nowhere. And then they have the rest of these guys who are just really smart players, like Fred Van Vliet. I'm not sure Embiid saw him once on a double team in last night's game. He was just unbelievably quick hands and, and causing havoc. You know, the Sixers only had 18 turnovers. Last night only had 18 turnovers. They had more than that because there were possessions where they had terrible shots get blocked. That should be considered turnovers or like shot clock violations. Danny Green had a couple of them. Um, Toronto made them look bad in the half court. Now the good news is the Sixers talent gap, I would say on the defensive end, you could really see like for the most part for those two games when Toronto was in the half court against the Sixers set defense, nothing and good for them that they were able to push the pace. Van Vliet in that first game, I thought was just excellent in transition. And the Sixers, they did a bad job, like bad shots and turnovers. They ended up in points on the other end of the floor. But when the Sixers, like Siakam had to go against Ben Simmons, I'm not sure Siakam has scored on Embiid once in his career, by the way, when he goes one-on-one against him. You know, the Sixers have certainly have a talent, uh, a talent edge. And you would hope, I would say, in a playoff series that it's a more extreme version of what we saw two years ago, because there's no Kawhi. Yeah. Where Siakam looks bad. Okay, Van Vliet's not gonna miss a shot the entire series, but if he is their main go to option, they're gonna struggle in the half court. But look, whatever Toronto did in in the half court, like other teams are going to try and replicate that. And they made the Sixers look bad in the half court last night. Good for the Sixers, they made some threes, but that felt like a lo- that felt like a win where they need to take a look at that tape and be like, We need to play better than this.
1: Yeah. To your point, uh, the Sixers' three worst games in the half court, measured by cleaning glass. This is points yep. per 100 plays. Uh, now, a play is different than a possession, yada, yada, yada. It's all about offensive rebounding. This will, my point is, the baseline for this is lower than the points per possession you're used to. But the point is, of these Sixers' games, two of the three worst came in these last two games. He had 79.1 points per 100 plays in the, um, Nope. Sorry. Yeah, they were worse than the half court last night. No, I was looking at the one against Toronto in December. Uh, Oh, yeah. They really
0: struggled for a couple quarters. That's that's three games.
1: The one last night was their worst of the season. So, again, okay, here's the actual stat. Of their six worst games in terms of half court efficiency on offense, three of them are against Toronto. Last night was the worst at 79.1 points per 100 plays. The one in December was the third worst at 81.3. And then the uh, loss was the sixth worst at 85.5. So yeah, Toronto certainly schemes well against them. I do think the one um, the other night in the loss turnovers were down. I forget what it was. It was like 10 turnovers compared to 18. It was a cleaner game. Yeah. When you had Danny Green barfing all over himself at the end. (laughs) That, like I thought that's how you beat Toronto. And if you do that consistently, if you move the ball that quickly, that decisively get the number of open corner threes they had, don't turn the ball over and let Toronto get out in transition and force Toronto to beat you in the half court. I think you will win a series playing like that. That's why when I went back and I said of the two games, I thought their most impressive performance was the one in the loss. They just, they didn't make shots. Whereas they came out last night and made all of the open threes that they had previously missed. And it covered up maybe some of their other weaknesses. But like you said, when you turn the ball over, when you make bad decisions, when the ball movement isn't crisp and you give a chance for Toronto, I mean, Toronto's scheme is very like they have very pronounced strengths and weaknesses. Like they force the most turnovers in the league. They also give up something like the third most corner threes in the league. And the key is whether or not you succumb to those turnovers, uh, to the pressure and commit turnovers and allow them to get out on the break. Or whether or not you can swing the ball and get open threes. And, I mean, making them helps too. But I think the Sixers were like four for 16 on corner threes in the first game. And I think the 16 might have been their most on the season in terms of attempts. You have to make those. Over a seven-game series, you hope that will happen. Um, but I thought they just played a much cleaner game. Defense was fine both nights. Uh, well, as you would sort of expect. Like That Toronto team is not going to be a, a, a top-ten offense, I don't think, when all is said and done especially not with Kyle Lowry out these two games. Uh, but yeah, it was a much cleaner game for sure. And a the loss. Um, they just, I mean, when Furkan comes out and has 16 first quarter points, like you're set up pretty well. And they still found a way to almost blow it down the stretch. But um, I mean, that was, <laughs> yes, it was, was a 21 point lead that once again, came down to like, but they get it to six. What was the closest? They got it. Yeah. Six, it never four, got somewhere never got completely
0: close for comfort, but yeah. I believe they, they cut it to six after greens, just an egregious cross court pass. When he really, like, all he had to do, you know, there was 18-19 on, the, uh, on the shot clock. He had time and a clear lane to get the ball over half court. You know, Van Vliet was trying to jump the ball. You would hope, God, when when Seth Curry comes back. Of course, Seth didn't play in last night's game. Um, that Danny's not on the floor at the end. He's just not a good enough ball handler or decision maker, despite yeah. being... In the league for a million years. That was, yeah, that was bad. I mean, he turns the ball over, gives up a layup, and then inbounding the ball in the next possession, almost turns it over again, where I think it was, I forget if it was, I think it was Enyanobi, steals it from Simmons, but he stepped out of bounds trying to save it. The only positive from that, that, uh, that rough stretch was that Ben Simmons did not run away from the ball. Yeah. And he made three or four from the line. Cause do you remember there was a game last December when they, the Sixers played well. They beat Toronto in Philly, but at the end of the game, it was like CYO level, turning the ball over against the press. I mean, it was like, it was like a, a high school Toronto team.
1: press gets them every time. It feels like every time. Yeah. And especially was, like, like Danny green, like when Danny green's on the corner and he's stationary and it's just like, okay, swing the ball around the perimeter. He's pretty good at that. Like he makes pretty good decisions in that regard. The moment he has space and he has to put the ball on the floor or make a pass. That's not a simple kick out. It can get dicey real quick, for sure. For sure.
0: The Danny Green take one dribble, and then the guy is still on him, like on a closeout. He takes one dribble, doesn't go anywhere, <laughs> and picks the ball up. That's the scariest moment in the Sixers season. <laughs> Some of the passes he makes, you're just like, I don't even know what you're looking at. I, mean, I, I don't know if it was the first Toronto game or the second one. He tried to thread the needle to Dwight when Dwight was not even close to open. It was just insanity. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, yeah, but that's that's what Toronto is. They they're just going to be a pain in the Sixers' ass the whole game to the point where even a loss or even a win feels like a loss.
1: Yep. And look, I think you know, let's say a Sixers fall down to the three seed, it could possibly get Toronto in the first round. I I would feel not comfortable. But I would I would feel confident the Sixers will pull that out. They're a better team. They're a deeper team. They have more star power. They should be able to beat a Toronto team over a seven game series. I will say though, I think Nick Nurse is a better coach than Doc Rivers. And that can cover up some ground in a seven game series. That would scare me a little bit. Yeah, I
0: would give them the edge just because of the
1: the top end talent. They they, they have an edge there
0: against Toronto. I'm looking at the looking at the standings right now. So Look, everything's fluid and I mean god, the Sixers have one injury in the second half of the year, even for a couple of weeks, things could get dicey real quick. So they're they're first, they're ahead of Brooklyn, but you know, their their point differential is not as good as Brooklyn or Milwaukee. But like, let's say they finish in the top 3. Among I guess among Indiana, Toronto or Boston. Which one would you rather play them? Which one would you want to play the most?
1: Wait, I'm sorry, go through I that. Was, I, was I was reading something. I'm bad. Indiana, no.
0: Toronto, Boston. Like, let's say they finished
1: third and
0: one of those teams could finish sixth.
1: I think Toronto's probably the most predictably good. Like, if you're going to tell me they're going to blow any of those teams out, I think Toronto would be the least likely team. Um, Boston, I feel like, could have the most variance. Like, Boston could just not have the depth and get run off the floor, or they could really scare the Sixers, and I don't know which way it would go. I feel like the Pacers are probably the least scary of those three. Yeah. I think
0: Boston is the scariest of those three. I know they suck right now, but they they suck, but their two top players are still playing really well. And
1: And and who knows what Danny Ainge does at the trade deadline and whether they can figure it all out. And You know, Marcus Smart being available is big for them. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they're, like I said, I think they probably have the most variance. I think Toronto is probably the most predictable. And the Pacers probably have the, the lowest ceiling of those three.
0: Well, I, I mean, I'm just worried. Like, let's say they're the three seed. I could see Miami getting into that six. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they're. I mean, I say I could see it. Like, that's kind of a bold prediction. They are one game out of the six seed right now. Now, there's a million teams jumbled up in yep. that that spot. But point is, Miami starts to play good for a couple of weeks. They'll, they'll be right there.
1: And uh, I mean, we've been saying it all year, but this is the strangest regular season we will ever cover. Probably the least predictive of the playoffs that we will ever cover. Uh, so it would be great to lock up some home court advantage uh, and, and really get into the top two so that you can, uh, you know, play one of those play-in play in tournaments, play in tournament teams. Because I think, first of all, I just think those teams having to win two games in order to even make the playoffs does give you some kind of advantage in the rest department, but also because I think there's a, a pretty good drop off. Like playing the bulls would be a lot, a lot easier of a, uh,
0: it would. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of luck though, which
1: just, I can't believe the bulls are actually the eight seed right now. That stuns me.
0: It looks like it'll just be a little bit of luck though. On which good team falls where, you know, hopefully, hopefully you don't get the one seed in Miami's there. That mm-hmm. would, uh that would suck. Yep. And then, and the Knicks are a spot ahead of them.
1: All right, you mentioned Boston's good players, both of which were were selected as all-star reserves in the Eastern Conference. So I guess we can pivot to that. Ben Simmons was selected as an all-star reserve. And again, the way the, the, the all-star works, fans, media, and players vote for the starters. Everybody 50, but the coaches. 50% van, fan vote, 25% media and players. And then the coaches select reserves. So Eastern Conference coaches select Eastern Conference reverse, reserves and vice versa. So the coaches, Eastern Conference coaches, selected Ben Simmons to be an all-star. They did not select Tobias Harris. Do you have any sort of deep thoughts on this?
0: No. I, I feel bad for Tobias. I, I don't think he i didn't think he was going to make it, though. It just— kind of felt like a reputation type of thing. He is, he's having an all-star level season. The problem is there's just a lot of guys who are, yeah. Um, who are eligible And the,
1: I mean, I, I know there's so I, this I, idea. I, I guess the top
0: seed should get three guys. I don't, I don't buy that no, at all. No, I don't all. care about that. Also the Sixers haven't been as good as the top seed. So.
1: No, no. And in terms of like, I think, uh, point differential, I think they're third in the Eastern conference. They are. Um, so here are the seven all-star reserves in the Eastern conference, Jalen Brown, James Harden, uh, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Vucevic. I I, I can't look, look. Would I rather have Tobias Harris on my team than Julius Randle? Yes. Yeah. But is Julius Randle having a better season? Yeah. But that's
0: um, and that's the one exception. I'm not even sure Julius Randle should have made it.
1: No, but like that's that's you the would. one. If I was going to quibble over one, I mean Vucevic maybe just because I don't think there's that much value in centers especially ones who can't defend like that. Those were the two that I would quibble with, but they're both probably having as good of seasons. And Randall, I think is probably having a better season than, uh, than Harrison. Quite frankly, with how much Knicks are overachieving, like I don't really have too much of a problem rewarding that either. Vuce is having
0: a, a very nice off- offensive season too. 24 points per game. 47% from the field, 40% on a bunch of threes. And you
1: really kind of needed a sec. Like the NBA still, I think, wants two centers in the game. So, whatever.
0: He's, whatever. and he's a tough player to scheme against too, especially like I think he gives Embiid more trouble than a lot of players just with his ability to credibly pop to the three point line. Now, it doesn't look like he's giving Embiid too much trouble in the defensive end, but no. He, uh, yeah, it's a tough one for Tobias. I know his, uh, his father sent out the uh, the text message. Yeah. At least it wasn't as bad as uh Matisse's agent last year. <laughs> what did he I say? It, it had something to do with ass, that. right?
1: Yeah, I forgot about that. Um I forget exactly what he said, but now that you bring it up I remember it happening. Was it was it like ass
0: instant coaches or something yeah, like that? Yeah,
1: it was something really immature. It was something really immature.
0: For the all rookie game or the the rookie sophomore yeah. challenge. I feel like
1: anybody yeah. really cares about that anyway.
0: That coming from Matisse's agent is very funny too. Or Matisse probably probably went to like four museums instead, you know, or something like that. By the way, when he got teed up on Sunday, one of my favorite moments of the year, how can he get teed up? He doesn't know any swear
1: words. <laughs> yeah. Look, he's got, he's got a kid friendly YouTube channel. Like it's very stunning. Very stunning.
0: So, so yeah, is that pretty I, much I the
1: only way you get teed up? Like you either drop a, a curse word, I and mean, not like shit or damn, like a, an f bomb. It looked or like it looked
0: like you said bullshit. You
1: so. like you spike a ball or something like that, or throw yeah, like JJ Reddick, throw a pass to him to the referee.
0: <laughs> JJ got the passive aggressive t.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't, yeah,
0: I, I don't know. I don't know what he said. I I would say that with the way Ben has played over the past couple of weeks, he's probably more deserving than Tobias. I don't know. I mean,
1: he's a better player. He's more important to the Sixers. He's more, he's just, he's a better player. I I was surprised how many people thought, uh, Simmons or Harris deserved it over Simmons. Like how many Sixers fans, I think a lot of that comes down to expectations. Ben up until a couple of weeks ago was underperforming expectations. Tobias was drastically outperforming the preseason expectations. I think that factors into a lot of fan reaction. I don't think that should factor into the actual all-star game voting. Ben Simmons is a better, more, in fact, more, more impactful, more well-rounded, more integral part to this team than Tobias Harris's. He's just—he's better at legitimately every part of the game outside of scoring. I, uh, I, I certainly look—we don't, or at least I don't vote uh, for All-Star starters. Media don't vote for All-Star reserves anyway, so we don't have a vote. I would not have voted Tobias Harris over Ben Simmons.
0: There might have been. A segment of fans who just appreciate that he's, you know, he's scoring 20 points a game on pretty good efficiency every night. And to be clear, like, Tobias is having the best season of his career. His defense, while not great, is, has gotten better as well, too. So, like, he's he's working on the margins. He's uh, He's been a really, really good player. It's just tough. I mean, there's, there's only 12 spots. And, and frankly, like, if you look at some of the other subs, or snubs, sorry, not subs. They pick the subs, and then these guys are the snubs.
1: Right. Chris
0: Middleton? Like, how did he yeah. not make it? Yeah, that guy just is just as
1: strong of a case as Tobias in my mind.
0: That guy is a stone cold killer as far as getting his own shot. And he's, I mean, he's probably got more of a reputation than Tobias in terms I mean, of like winning look, basketball in the
1: playoffs. Look in the West. Devin Booker was originally a snub. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Mike Conley, like, those are players who are, quite frankly, better than Tobias Harris, too.
0: Bam was a snub. He's yep. had an awesome season so far. I know their team has been disappointing, even though they've they've had their COVID trouble for sure. I don't know. It's it's hard. It's uh, my least favorite conversation is after the uh, the All Stars well, are announced because nobody
1: wants to talk about who should be left off. Yeah, and it's it's a yeah. hard exercise. It I, is. You, know,
0: you have I, LeBron saying Devin Booker's the most disrespected player in the league. Okay, but who are you taking off then? Right,
1: right. Um,
0: we have not enough spots and we have too many deserving players.
1: You know, it's been it's been 12 players per conference all-stars since there was like something like 12 teams in the league or something like that. I remember reading like um the league has expanded a lot and the playoff rosters have not. And I think it's become a much tougher question because of that. Um yeah, I mean, look, he's having a good year. Am I up in arms about it? Not really. Not really.
0: You know what I, th- I found pretty interesting was how Doc was talking about the coaches just said, like, Ben was automatic.
1: Yeah. And I think they understand. Like you, We're not talking about, like, a slight upgrade on defense. We're talking about one of the five best defenders on the planet who also happens to be, you know, everything he does offensively. And quite frankly, lately, that's been really good, not just in transition, not just as a setup man, but also as an individual scorer. Uh, the way he is getting... Th- you know, driving into the lane, the way he is getting the free throw line, the way he is making his free throws. It's been a, it's been really impressive to see lately. It's been a a light bulb has gone off and he's been really good.
0: And that was a part of the better performance in the first Toronto game compared to the second one. Ben had 28 points, believe nine of 11 shooting 10 of 14 from the line. He clanked two at the end of that game, but he's doing a, he's doing a great job right now. And he's a, but I did find it interesting. I, I really do respect, the coaches and what their opinions are just because they're the people who watch the game closer than anybody. It's their job.
1: And And they, they they watch the most games probably. Yeah. And and they're scouting for an opponent. Yeah.
0: They understand when they're scouting an opponent and they're coaching against opponent, which player frustrates us the most, which player is really impactful. And, you know, for Ben who I, I think it's fair to say from the conversations we've had around the league, he's a polarizing player around the league in front offices and and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, the fan discourse isn't entirely dissimilar from some of the front offices, but I do feel like in the coaching fraternity, when you listen to some of these people talk about Ben, it it seems like it skews more towards the people who are really positive on him and just would say this guy, you know, it, it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet what he does, but, look, we coach against him and he's really frustrating against us. Now, I'm sure some coaches probably think like, yeah, but we can scheme against him on the other end of the floor yeah, and those things. But I don't know. It, it just feels like the, the coaches who watch the game really closely seem to have more of an appreciation for him than the average person.
1: Yeah, I I would guess most, most coaches value what he brings defensively more than most fans do or even, quite frankly, most media members. Uh, I, I would guess that covers up a large portion of the – discrepancy.
0: I mean, all it could right. just be like, like Nick nurse voting for him to, you know, Maz was in the game last night. I believe. Yeah. Cause Korkmaz, cause he made all the threes. They went at Norman Powell really hard in the second half of that game, just because, all right, well, Simmons is on Van Vliet and beads on Siakam. All right. Well, I guess we got to go to Norman Powell. He's, he's our third best player or he's our third best player, but I'm not going at those other two people. And it's yes. as simple as that.
1: Cat is walking across my mixing board right now, so if my sound goes out, you know why. Uh, Sounds okay. (laughs) Anyway, so we have, what, this coming week, we have the Mavs, the Cavs, the Pacers, and the Jazz all at the Wells Fargo Center. And then you have a, what, I think a seven-day break uh, for the All-Star game, which, of course, Simmons, Embiid, and Doc will not have. And then a real tough start. I would say the first three weeks of that second half schedule is just brutal, both in terms of opponents and also just quantity of games. And I think the six, I think something like 12 of the first 18 games are on the road in the second half, which is not Mm going to be easy on the Sixers. If they're in second
0: place or third place on April 2nd, they'll be in a pretty good spot. I think, uh, yeah, the, the, you start with the the five and seven days is I mean the the cat is just unbelievable right now.
1: <laughs> well, and she started climbing like on the fucking microphone too, so I'll have to edit some of that out. But but before the second half even starts, can they
0: kill a team, please? Yeah,
1: yeah, it would I'm, be I'm nice. not
0: in love with how they're playing right no, they're, now. They're I, they're I know not... I know Toronto's a decent opponent and they're frustrating.
1: Can you smoke a team, please? Ever since that really that West Coast trip, they have not been. Completely on point. Yeah, no. And like they've let a couple of really big leads slip too. Uh, quite frankly, games that in prior years the fan base would have been up in arms about. But uh, I mean, look, they are 21 and 11. Their point differential suggests that they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. There's a little bit of gap between them and the fourth and fifth and that cl- cluster of teams. So they have a little bit of margin for error, but like you said, the second half gets real tough real quickly and they need to be playing on top of their game. If they want to, if they want a top two seed, which I think they really want to go for, um, they are going to have to be on top of their game because the bucks and, and, and the bucks had that stretch where they lose five, six in a row, something like that. Yeah. Without they've, Drew. they've, they've turned it back around a little bit now. Uh, I expect the bucks and the nets to play pretty good basketball. And the Sixers are going to have a fight. Like, I think some people have gotten a little bit comfortable sitting a little bit fat and happy as a top seed in the Eastern Conference for, quite frankly, most of the first half of the season. Uh, I think that is going to be tough to hold on to, for sure. For sure. Even
0: their wins have been pretty iffy. I mean, that Houston win, that wasn't that great. No. Against a team that was asking to get smoked, and they couldn't do it, despite making all their threes. You know, obviously, Simmons didn't play in that one. The Chicago game we talked about you should not need mb to score 50 points.
1: Great I, to watch. I guess but yeah, not a not a great game.
0: I guess from a positive standpoint, like Toronto basically took mb out of that series, at least on the offensive end. And they were able to get one of two. But man, I, t- Toronto they were without Lowry and you had a full deck. You know, it's good to see the shake is back, but I don't know. I I would feel a little bit better about this team in the long run if they just smoked a couple of these teams, like you're, you're playing Cleveland on Saturday night, put it to them.
1: It is, it is.
0: Indiana and Utah. Yep. I mean, Utah's going to be tough, but like Indiana and Dallas, like
1: how about, how about beating a team by double digits? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. When, when was the last double digit win? You have to go. Uh, I had Brooklyn, which yeah. had two of their three stars out. On a back bef- to back. Before then you'd have to go to Minnesota. Who's barely a functioning NBA team right now. Uh, and then before that, you would have to go back to, yeah, Boston. It's It's been a minute. And uh, that Boston game was barely a game against a normal NBA team either. There have not been very many blowouts lately. It is tough, I think, to get a blowout with a bench looking the way it is. It's even tougher when you refuse to stagger your starting lineup the way Doc does. Uh, and even tougher when the center, the backup center, makes it tough to stagger your starting lineup the way you would normally want to. I think that's probably the one reason I'm giving Doc a little bit of a pass for his rotations right now. It's because there's just not a great way to put Simmons on with that second unit. Hopefully, Daryl yeah. resolves that so we can then have a more normal-looking rotation, or at least the op- the option for a more normal-looking rotation. And we know who to blame if that doesn't come to be. But I do not like the second unit. You know, they made a big deal about Korkmaz getting a lot easier shots because he's playing with Simmons and Embiid. And what's interesting is going back and looking at it, his he actually his numbers haven't been that much better when he's played with Embiid, which you would expect they would be. But with Simmons, they are. And I certainly think he had easier shots uh the other night than he normally does. And I mean, he may he misses a lot of open looks. Like Korkmont has not been a good enough NBA player lately. But like it would just it would be nice to have some of your stars lifting up some of these bench players. So they're not relied upon as heavily as they currently have been, but uh, they need a they need a center. PJ Tucker, bielitza whoever it might end up being, they need they need somebody. They need somebody. You can't have
0: any more bend white Matisse lineups. No, I'm sorry, that just it's below the threshold of acceptable spacing. Yeah, in the NBA, it's it's way below it, frankly.
1: Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, All right. I think that's probably just about all that I have. Well, we have a a mailbag podcast coming up here over the weekend. So if you have a question, email it to us, mailbag at Sixersbeat.com, and we will try to get it on the air. Uh, Give us something to talk about other than the bench lineups, because I feel like somehow we always end up circling back to that, and I'm sick of it. So give us a topic to talk about. All right. That's all I got. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.